welcome everybody to the third edition of the yet-to-be-named podcast about Doctor Who, the world's greatest TV show. And how are you doing this evening, Ben? I'm, I'm doing okay, actually. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Good, good, good. So um, we were going to continue talking about the kind of stuff we were talking about on the last podcast, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, well, it's been a couple of weeks, so it kind of... Um... It has, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, was, um, it was politics a little bit, wasn't yeah. it? Like whose take on politics mm -hmm. and um, freedom. And how it's always been with us, with Doctor Who, with the politics. Absolutely. And how its politics are in general, uh, in general kind of liberal leading, mm -hmm. but also, uh, well, of course, I mean, the Doctor and the show's politics are always on the side of the, uh, of the freedom fighter. Mm -hmm. So there is a slight kind of, I don't know, a slight... Um, What's the word? Uh, kind of disruptive streak running through it as well. It's like the, the status quo is always something that needs to be changed and challenged or diverged Well, that from. could be just the types of stories that are being told, too. You don't see the stories where the doctor and companions land in a society that is at peace and tranquil with itself and happy and there's equality and everyone has a good life. That is true, because, of course, there isn't really any conflict there to have a story. Yes, we never get to Floriana. Is it Floriana? The, the third Doctor and Sarah Jane are trying to get to in Death to the Daleks? I yes. think it is. Yes, Well, I was yes. also thinking of the beginning of the Five Doctors. Oh, yeah, where was that at the beginning of the Five Doctors? Hang on, my mind's gone blank. That's, um... Oh, yeah, well, that, that is somewhere, isn't it? That they were, they've been trying to get to and they finally got to. Um, it's the Eye of Orion. Yeah, They're at the Eye of Orion. Eye of Orion, yeah, that's where they are. Which is actually looks like an uncomfortable, sort of slightly rainy, grey day in Wales. <laughs> well, maybe that nothing. Maybe that is what is most peaceful. Maybe that's true. Certainly for me, having spent a lot of my childhood walking around Wales on kind of grey, rainy days, it certainly mm -hmm. makes me feel peaceful. But yeah, I think the music, and as far as I'm remembering, my five doctors, the music in the background, which is kind of tinkly, mm -hmm. uh, kind of tinkly sounds doesn't quite jibe with the uh, just general grain <laughs> grayness of, of Wales in October or whenever they shot that show. It, the weather is always off-season, so if they're filming in winter, they're trying to do summer stories. If they're filming in summer, then they have to get the snow machine out and painting rocks yeah. white and that type of stuff. So. I'll have to say, actually, um, I'm going to veer completely off politics here, completely. One of the things that has consistently bugged me about the new series... Uh, Christmas specials and uh, again I've got no quibble with all of a sudden a Doctor Who Christmas special being something that has to happen because there's not really a huge amount of precedent for it um, was how they are always very clearly set in the middle of summer and, and no amount of snow or pretending that all these leaves <laughs> have suddenly come out in the middle of winter is going to make me believe that it's Christmas time. Sorry. Sorry, RTD. It's not Christmas. Yeah, I've looked at some of the set photos from the new season upcoming. I get, what is it, Series 10? Uh-huh. And yet again, they got the snow machine out and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying it's, it's... to flock uh, deciduous trees to make yeah, them look wintry. It's the leaves. It's like you can you can put as much snow you want on a tree in midsummer, but mm -hmm. it's still covered with leaves, which it's not going to be in midwinter. 
Well, the thing that always cracks me up is they have these uh, actresses on there you know, out in skimpy costumes, and it's the middle of winter, but pretend it's summer, pretend you're warm, and they're turning blue or purple. Or... <laughs> the kind of, it's the kind of blotchy, the kind of blotchy <laughs> Tegan legs. Yes. It's not ac- it's not actually summer you can tell. My actually my in the in the new series my most favorite weather moment is oh hang on it's family of blood what's the what's the um is the two the two parties family of blood and there's human nature. Yeah, human nature and, and and family of blood and the ending of family of blood and poor old Thomas Sangster is literally drenched in torrential <laughs> rain and you just wonder like why couldn't they have just acknowledged that it was raining mm-hmm. and um the doctor could have just, just given him an umbrella or something and but there's literally water kind of running down his face as he mm-hmm. says a tearful obviously tearful because there's water mm-hmm. running down his face a tearful goodbye to the tardis crew another instance of freak weather conditions i guess exactly <laughs> exactly it's it must be it must be the axons again mm-hmm. well the <laughs> Well, the weather that strikes me in New Who is in the Vampires of Venice with the big lightning storm with uh, the doctor climbing the up the weather vane to harness the po- power of electricity. Right, so right. Weather does seem to play quite a role occasionally in stories. We, you know, we get the uh, curse of the Peladon with them landing in the, you know, with the thunderclaps and the lightning on the side of the mountain. Yeah, that is good weather, though. I I think I, I I'm still am impressed by by the weather on Peladon, because, of course, it's an alien planet. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could have thunder, thunderclaps and a high wind and no, and no rain. I think that mm-hmm. would be, I think that works fine for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we have other, we got Doctor Who and the Abominable Snowman. What time was that supposed to take place? You know, was it supposed to be a wintry thing in the Himalayas? Or, yeah. Yeah, I think those were filmed in the mountain Snowden. Snowdonia, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Snowdonia. And so, again, no attempt with the snow machine or anything else and of course you're helped very much with the black and white to envision the himalayas but definitely not the himalayas yeah of course interestingly as far as i recall uh, of the abominable snowman or at least the you know the exterior outside broadcast shots for abominable snowman are set in the same shot in the same part of snowdonia as carry on up the kyber really which of course is the Carry On series, mm-hmm. their attempt to look at the British in India. Mm-hmm. So again, it was it's a similar it's actually a similar mountain range. Snowdonia was was standing in for um uh, yeah for the Himalayas. They had it established as the <laughs> it's Himalayas. it's the go it's the go to it's the go to for Himalayas exactly exactly yeah so weather weather and who yeah yeah I'm trying to think of other. Again, I, 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 I am, I'm hugely, a huge, obviously, because everyone is a huge fan, I'm a huge fan of the Seeds of Doom. Um, it doesn't really convince me Antarctica, though, the, um, the kind of... Again, the flocking wisp, the of, flocky. The, of the quarry, the black, <laughs> the black stones underneath just do not... It's a flocked quarry, yes. exactly. <laughs> but they've gotten better. I mean, well, I guess they had the Planet of the Ood, which, again, was filmed in the height of summer, but, again flocked to look like winter the flocking in the 30 40 years since the scenes yeah. of doom were filmed they have improved but it still looks like artificial snow and the worst worst thing i guess with seeds of doom is when the snowflakes the styrofoam snowflakes aren't melting on tom when he <laughs> comes in and they're stuck in his hair and they, they don't go away <laughs> and that's that's his but surely surely that's his time lord biology he's oh, he yeah. has a he has a, a freakishly low body temperature especially in the hair area <laughs> he didn't come five thousand miles to discuss the weather 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. I think um, I think I read somewhere that they're having problems with Game of Thrones in terms of weather. Well, also um, tying back yeah. to Brexit, aren't they losing? They're filming in Northern Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, and they're if yeah. Britain Brexits officially, then they are losing all the EU subsidies for filming in Northern Ireland. I think I think that's a possibility. Though I would have thought that um, they'll they'll probably they'll probably have the show wrapped before the EU fully pu- pulls the plug on it. Well, they certainly aren't fast fast marching it. The remaining states in the EU are. Uh, at least when some of the politicians are, let's hurry this along, let's have a quick, clean break. But, you know, without Parliament invoking, what is it, Article 50? Article 50 of the of they, the convention, yes. <laughs> so it's in it's in the UK's advantage to have everything pre-negotiated before Article 50 is invoked. But the EU is saying, well, if you can invoke Article 50, there's nothing to negotiate about. Oh goodness! Uh, oh, I, 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 I really. Oh, maybe, maybe we should just turn this into a into a Brexit a Brexit podcast. It's but yes, probably it's, a, it's still the topic du jour. Just a nightmare. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah, I can't believe that. Um, yeah, and then we're faced with 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 two evil, the monstrous regiment of a woman is again going to be thrust upon my country in terms of a prime minister. Um, well, it's but, not that it's a woman; it's the policies that she has in plan for the country. Exactly, exactly. Oh God. Yeah. So, how can we how can we bring this conversation back to our favorite TV show? That's what I'm worried about. Well, do you think Brexit will have any impact directly on Doctor Who production in Series Ten? Um, very good question. I think that Brexit itself will not have a direct um, effect. But if the country continues to kind of tailspin into some kind of recession, then there is less money available for the BBC, even for its flagship shows, um, such as Doctor Who. So that's a concern. And I think if we get a rabid right-wing conservative block in power, and it is one of the projects of the right wing of the Conservative Party to get rid of the BBC. Is that funded by Murdoch, basically, so a sky can reign supreme? Or Yeah, I think, I think, there's, a, I think there's an idea that um, the BBC is, is anti, uh, it's, 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 uh, because it's government subsidized, well, it's funded through, through a form of taxation, of, I mean, admittedly regressive taxation, but still. Uh, that it is it is anti-competitive, um, so that it has an unfair advantage over you know the the beauties of capitalism, such as you know um, Rupert Murdoch or Rupert Murdoch, basically. <laughs> so um, so it needs to be it needs to be destroyed. Um, well, networks like ITV and Thames certainly can produce their own good quality programming. It doesn't seem that anti-competitive to me. But this is again, I have a vested interest in the BBC surviving because I yeah I as an American really enjoy British Broadcasting Corporation programming and I, I think I think actually the world as a whole um, would, 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 would suffer um, in general mm-hmm. if the BBC was demolished I think BBC is an amazing and sadly unique institution that has mm-hmm. created so much that that is good and to just get rid of it simply because well, basically, as Rupert Murdoch tells you to, is just ridiculous. But you know, I think if you are coming from a very right-wing perspective, yeah, it is. It's you know, it's funded through taxation. It is unfairly uh, competes with organisations that fund themselves in different ways, private 
private organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the B, and it comes in for a lot of stick, you know, as being a left-wing organization that's biased towards so, liberal issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm surprised that Margaret Thatcher wasn't able to privatized BBC back in the 80s was that even something that she attempted to do well I think I think the thing about Thatcher is that she privatized everything that she could mm-hmm. and of course I mean, the, I mean the, the amazing thing about Thatcher is that she recognized that essentially Britain was still running you know the late 1970s was still running a war economy where basically mm-hmm. everything was owned by the government I mean we hadn't really recovered from 1945 uh, and so she privatized, you know, the steel industry was owned by the government. The car industry was owned by the government. The phone industry was owned by the government. Basically, everything was 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 state owned. So I think, you know, what she was able to, I mean, she she would have privatized the, the BBC, but, you know, she only had a, there only a certain number of hours in the day. Um, um, and she privatized the things that, that, the low hanging fruit, the low hanging fruit. Exactly. And I think finally now the Tories are getting around to actually getting rid of the BBC. Though, of course, um, what they did do, the conservative government in the eighties with the BBC was to introduce producer choice under John Burt, which kind of started to demolish the BBC as a production house, as well as a commissioning body. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the destruction of the radiophonic workshop and the destruction of the special effects unit um, and all the things that served who so well over the years. Set into motion basically the selling off of television centers. Absolutely, absolutely, year, absolutely. Or a couple years And ago. of course, you know, you get uh, ridiculous private enterprise figures such as Sir, in inverted commas, Michael Grade coming in. Um, and you get Doctor Who cancelled. So, you know, mm-hmm. and I think. Maybe it's maybe this is not the time and the place for us to fully discuss the cancellation crisis, but... I mean, let's look at the quality of Doctor Who at the time it was canceled. The first cancellation was after the first season of Colin Baker. Exactly. And we're looking at the... If we're looking at the stories then, uh, those aren't... They aren't the best stories. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely you jest. Surely, surely those are the best stories. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. Well, so, I mean, we look at each one. So, coming off the of season twenty-one, we have the twin dilemma. Nice. Which, I, oh, what a great, which, great story that is. <laughs> so we have a huge drop of uh, audience appreciation. Well, actually, it wasn't a huge drop in our audience appreciation from Caves of Androzani, last episode of Caves of Androzani, to the first episode of Twin Dilemma. I mean, we were at sixty-eight, uh, I think, AI at Caves of An- Caves of Androzani, episode four. Mm. And then part one of Twin Dilemma, we only dropped down to sixty-one. I mean, I, th- I, it, I mean, I think that I mean the toggle between those two stories. You know, if you look at mm-hmm. all, all, of, all of Doctor Who magazine surveys, etc., over the years, you know, Caves Androzani, mm-hmm. if not number one, right up there in the top top five. Top five. Twin Dilemma, if not number five hundred, is right down there in the four hundred ninety-five range. Right. Um, so it is actually, uh, it would be really interesting to really try and analyze at some point, like, how, <laughs> how that happened. Well, uh, I think the mistake was JNT and Eric Sayward's um, wanting the portrayal of a grumpy, Hartnell-ass doctor in the mid-80s. I, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head, though. I think the difference is, is that and I, I really don't have a lot of time for Eric Sayward at all in terms of his writing or his script editing, 
but you know the 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 the, be- the 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 reason why his approach worked with Peter Davison is Peter Davison is such a an open faced boyish um, and um, a pleasant <laughs> pleasantly open faced and boyish character. Uh, well, the personality that they had established with him is he's a kind, exactly. compassionate. So you can you so you can feeling exactly. So so you can drop him into you know kind of gritty. Cyberman mercenary tale, mm-hmm. and it works basically. Even though you have like stupid sword, like obsessed with mercenaries and obsessed with Cybermen and obsessed with like stupid things like that. But then the weird thing about Twin Dilemma is you drip, you drop a kind of gritty, grumpy, horrible doctor into a kind of you know mm-hmm. gay, and I'm using gay in the in the proper sense of the word, no, in the old fashioned sense of the word, into a kind of a gay, brightly coloured. Um, kind of Davison story, and the whole thing just f- completely fails in the most epic way possible. And then, of course, as as, as I think, as as, as people more intelligent about, about Doctor Who than I have, have analysed, one of the problems with the you, then you get the dynamic between Perry and and Colin uh, Colin Baker, and you get the question like, why on earth is she staying with this guy if he's such a mm-hmm. dick? Well, but if you look at the situation with Perry coming out of uh, Planet of Fire, she seemed to be coming out of some kind of strange situation with her stepfather, but she was traveling with him. And, you know, she, there was something going on that, you know, so she probably had a situation of an abusive situation with with Howard because she was kind of afraid of Howard and what Howard would do. So if she was in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation, um, with Planet of Fire in her domestic situation, and she moves into another situation where the guy she thought she was with turned regenerates and becomes abusive again. Perhaps I no, I'm sure that that's a case that can be made. I do think it is a case of special pleading, though, and I think it's it's like I think that's a case of fans um, trying to mm-hmm. trying to make this fit. Rather than, and I, you know, I guess if you, I mean, I'm sure, but I don't think it really works in a show like Doctor Who really to have that kind of, you know, pop psychology. I think the type of character that was cast was probably JNT driven, with Perry being quote unquote an American, falling off at Tegan being a, from Australia. Actually, actually Australian, right. yeah. And then so I think what we had is JNT. You know, trying going with something, or maybe it was Sayward going with something, and it just didn't, didn't work. work. And then so Michael Grade, I'm not sure what story he saw on the television at the time. It might have been Revelation of the Daleks, which again probably of season 22 uh, is the story that survives or that has the highest appreciation today. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good one. No, I, I, I'm. I, I, that's that's actually pretty watchable. But even in my mind. even then, you know after. <laughs> It was the show was effectively canceled after season twenty two. The eighteen yeah. month hiatus wasn't. Re- I mean, by some by some fluke, it was brought back. But you know the the Doctor Who protest and whatnot. But the who cares? Yeah, it just it came back and the show wasn't the same with the trial definitely. And the trial probably wasn't the best way to kick, nah. kick it in the pants to re- restart it. But yeah. I mean, the other stories of season 22, Vengeance on Varos, um, retrospective, it has some pretty cutting commentary on the television audience and watching the spectacle and society at large. But 
Again, I'm not sure that was very widely received. It is, again, very violent. Mark of the Ronnie, really poor production values um, with the Wizard of Oz types trees. It's a tree. And, <laughs> and, you know, interesting setting, trying to do something historical with the advent of the steam engine. Just it didn't really go anywhere. Kind of stunt casting with another Time Lord of Kate O'Mara having the master in there for no particular reason other than it's the master. Right. The two doctors yeah. was a waste of Patrick Troughton. Ah, oh, um, criminal waste of Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Having him become a an violent androgum or, you know, just yeah. just laughing at the death of the, the waiter or the restaurateur and yeah. and um, time lash we have <laughs> Which is actually it's, it's actually over, the worst, isn't it? Really overacting by Paul Paul Darrow. Well, think, I think I mean I love I mean who doesn't love Paul Darrow? He's like incredibly lovable, <laughs> and I think I think you either yeah I think you either you either say you either make a part for Paul mm-hmm. Darrow and like okay that's the Paul Darrow part like mm-hmm. just let him get on with it, or you tell him to stop acting like Paul Darrow and like act like someone else and i don't think they did either of those things from what i've read is that <laughs> Decker, Paul Darrow, uh, colin baker was on blake seven as a warlord in the first in a nappy i, I, I seem to remember in the, well, something like that in the very first yeah. season of blake seven colin yeah. baker played a warlord and he really hammed it up or was uh lord humongous <laughs> played it played it over the top right and from from memory and so when uh paul darrow got on uh, colin baker's story darrow tried to steal the scenes from colin baker basically and baker was not an actor like troughton who when faced with a actor who's playing a professor zaroff type character troughton dialed it back a bit colin baker you know tries to outdo him yeah try to outdo it so we got two over-the-top acting jobs and just the other kind of hallmark or the bad thing i think of the season was you know we would go attack on the cybermen and sort of like okay what's the what was the holy grail story to be found in fandom of the missing episodes it was tomb Tomb of the cybermen and so let's have a return back to tell us and then the it's continuity heavy ridiculously Um, so we had the return of a, uh, one of Sayward's probably great characters of Lytton, but then we destroy Lytton. Yeah. And, you know, it was trying to be a redemption of Lytton, which it was interesting to see what happened to Lytton after he decided to go local after Resurrection of the Dalek. But the story itself did not work. Well, and I think it's, 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 it's certainly, for, for me, both the two Doctors and also... Uh, Hang on, what's the Cybermen one we were just talking about? Attack of the Cybermen. Attack of the Cybermen has like two really good examples of, of what uh, what Nathan Turner just got so wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first in the two Doctors is Sontarans. Okay, let's bring back the Sontarans. Everyone loves the Sontarans; they're awesome. But let's make them ten feet tall, <laughs> and then not tell the costume designer they're the. It's just, it's like you, you, you bring back an iconic creature design, mm-hmm. but in no way is there any connection in terms of the showrunner or the producer briefing the costume designers to actually create that monster again in an effective way. I mean, I mean, they just look ridiculous. And there's no reason for them to be in that story at and all. And there's no reason for them to be in the story at all. I mean, it's bad enough having the andograms. But I mean, if we if they had more room to breathe mm-hmm. as new aliens, then we might have a good story. Mm-hmm. In Attack of the Cybermen, 
the whole stunt casting thing. Mm-hmm. You 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 bring back Michael Kilgariff, you know, who was obviously you know a great mm-hmm. actor of great stature. Um, uh, you know, played these tall parts. But why bring him back to be the to be the cyber? Is it cyber controller or cyber leader? I can't remember. Does, cyber it, does it matter? <laughs> Doesn't matter because the design has changed mm-hmm. and he's like a lot fatter. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's 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 just it's just it's completely thing, wrong. You don't see his face. It, he could have done the exactly. Voice. So it doesn't right. matter exactly. I mean, you could you, you could have just hired someone who actually fit mm-hmm. the part and just called them Michael Kilgariff, and no one would have known the difference. Well, or they could have had Michael Kilgariff doing the voice exactly. And then you bring in Sarah Green and what's her name, the impressionist, to be the the spooky little telosite creatures. Oh, the cryons. The cryons, who are both uh, it, uh, it's it's oh, thingy brown. I can't remember her first name. Um, you know, who are both like big female stars at that time. But mm-hmm. you put them in masks, so again, they could have been anybody, and you right. could have just called them Sarah Green and June Brown. It's not June Brown. Faith, Faith Brown. Uh, Faith, well, you could have just called them Sarah Green and, and Faith Brown because you couldn't see mm-hmm. their faces. It, mm-hmm. The whole thing is just so badly organized and i you know i you know, my my business such as it is but the profession in which i work is all about kind of joined up creative organizing and mm-hmm. just the ineptness of the the way that nathan turner and soward briefed the creatives that they were working on both in terms of, of costume mm-hmm. design um directing actors um everything was mm-hmm. just breathtakingly incompetent well, I think Eric Sayward just did not like the format. He didn't like Doctor, Doctor Who that much. He wanted to be. He wanted to write or have this hardcore, hard man type, violent, over the top thing. And so he would, when he was writing, you know, like with Resurrection of the da- or not Resurrection, mm, yeah. Revelation of the Daleks. So we spent all our time focusing on Orsini or Barstock. And the two people that were trying to infiltrate into the tranquil repose. And you know we don't we don't really spend any time with the doctor, the doctor Nicola, who is the, who's the hero of the show. I think the the, right. the other thing that, that that again is such a huge mishmash, both with uh, you know Revelation of the Daleks and then what was the what was the Peter Davison Dalek one? My, Resurrection of the Daleks. And, 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 and Resurrection. Mm-hmm. You have on one hand you have Sourwood writing these kind of gritty, I mean stupidly gritty, and I'm using gritty in the kind of inverted commas. Right. These kind of ridiculously over the top like macho mm-hmm. gritty storylines mm-hmm. and then at the other hand you have john nathan turner casting all those people using british sitcom stars well so, that's what the type so, of, i know, think uh, that's what jnt really wanted to be doing he wanted to be doing a sitcom he wanted to be doing pantomime i think if he had a variety show yeah that's where he would have excelled that's what he wanted to <laughs> but i mean he he needed he needed he loved his pantomime yeah and yeah. so he'd always get his stars in to be doing his pantomime at christmas time but but it's such a disconnect um for you know any british watcher at that time to see rodney Bewes from you know the likely lads mm-hmm. stumbling onto thingy of the daleks mm-hmm. um whatever it's what is it what's what's the davison one called again sorry i'm blanking again. the first one or the second yeah, the, the first uh, the, the the first Sayward one resurrection of the resurrection stumbling onto resurrection is kind of this space mercenary it's like mm-hmm. it's Rodney Buse from the Likely Lads he's no more a space mercenary than I am mm-hmm. 
Oh, God. And I, mean, I, and I guess what's his name, who was, um, Orsini, or, or who was another big sitcom star, actually did a pretty, I mean, I think that's a really great relationship. I think it's, I think it's pretty well written. I've mm-hmm. got a lot of time for that, mm-hmm. for, for, for that series. And he, and he, and he does a good job. But still, there's a big disconnect seeing him playing this kind of, you know, gritty role when you basically know him from a sitcom. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that Modern Who has pulled off really well is addressing that disconnect with audiences and making it work. Because it can work if you look at it creatively and, you know, properly talk to the director and properly talk to the actors and get them to work with it. So you can have Kylie Minogue and it works, mm-hmm. you know. Or at um, least have actors who will have a clue because you know Beryl Reed I think in Earthshock just had no clue to what anything was going on and yeah and I think Earthshock gets its popularity from the fact it's the return of the Cybermen first time since Revenge of the Cybermen in what 74 75 75 time frame yeah and Adric's death yeah yeah. otherwise it's a mess and I think you know the idea that Beryl Reed is some kind of Sigourney Weaver style Ass kicking, sexy heroine. It's like, no, she's not. It's, it's it's Beryl Reed, for God's sake. It's Beryl Reed. And like, no one's really told her what the part should be because no one is actually running this show at this point. Ah. I think someone explained it to her. It was sci fi. It was out of her. No, she's Beryl Reed. <laughs> experience exactly. level. And she's just not. She's, she's, <laughs> just... She, 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 she's never picked up a sci fi book and she, just, she mm-hmm. did, you know, doesn't want to know one end of a Cyberman from the other. Cyberman from the other. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so much. So, I wrong. mean, just so much wrong. Just the two. I mean, the two doctors probably. We waste Patrick Troughton. We waste Fraser Hines' return. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Chassini, Jacqueline Pierce. We waste, waste her. Serverland. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. And I think, and, it's, and again, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again, man, because I know a little bit about. Well, I because it's what I do. I know a little bit about working with creative people and creating a good product for an audience. And it requires work. It can be done, but you have to work at it. You can't just, like, cast an actor and then just expect that actor to know how to do it. You've got mm-hmm. to tell them. You've got to direct them. And if the director can't do it, then you as a showrunner slash producer, you have to tell them how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just, it's, 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 it's incompetent. And I think, I think and again, I think the problem with Doctor Who in the 80s is that it was a show that no one on the BBC was really taking any notice of until they actually sat down and watched it one evening by accident and thought like, God, this is awful. We should cancel it. Right. Anyway. Well, you know, instead of spending the money that was spent filming in location in Spain in season 22, that money probably could have been better spent improving like the production values of Time Lash or just anywhere through it. Yeah. It's the, the enemy of production is money, but it's also time and the time you spent, the time that would take To get to Spain and... Or the, you know, or the couple of hours that you would have to have given the costume designer to get them to sit down in front of the Time Warrior and actually watch and understand what a Sontaran should look like. Mm-hmm. And have them talk I to the know. casting director um, or the person in charge of casting and cast actors who would fit into a costume that made them look like a Sontaran. If you want to have Sontarans in the show, which you shouldn't have had in the first place. It's a season of uh, returns. You know, they had the Cybermen return, they have the uh, Sontarans return, and they have the Daleks return. And, the, and again, and I'm sure you agree with you, the problem with the season of returns is nobody mm-hmm. cares. Not at that point. No, nobody cares about it. I mean, the fans... Were, the, 
care about return. But the fans also, the fan, what the fans care about is things returning properly, not things returning craply. So any fan who was like, whoa, Sontarans are returning, as soon as they, so as soon as they saw those freakishly huge, ill-fitting costumed Sontarans turn up, they go like, this is bollocks. We are not going to watch this. So you basically you're pissing off well, we everybody by being well, incompetent. We did have a good Santarin. The third story on the Santarins, the invasion of time again. Why do we need the Santarins there? What, what's? Oh, I'm 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 going to disagree with you. I'm 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 a I'm a I'm actually I've, I rewatched it again quite recently. I am become a big invasion right. of time fan. So what's? Yeah, yeah, and I think the Santarin. I think Store in that show is brilliant. Okay. So he's he's what do you, quite near the top of my all time three favorite. He's the third of my all time three favorite Santarans. And what, okay, what are the top three Santarans? Store is number three. Number two would be number two is Staya, and okay. number one is Lynx. Okay, so in reverse order: Invasion, the Experiment, and Time Warrior. Exactly, exactly. So the, the comedy Santaran of Strax is not in your top three. I mean, we should have we should devote a whole episode to talking about the Santarans. I think they've been taken too far in the comedy in the comedy direction. And again, you, I mean, you have like I'm now I'm going to raz on RTD. You know, you get one of the key comedy actors of his generation to play the chief Sontaran in The Poison Sky, whatever the hell that one was called. You know, from the young ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I I mean, they're great comedy, but they're also super evil and horrible. And I think mm-hmm. we should. We should have. They should have a gritty reboot. Bring Eric Sword back, and we'll have a gritty, a, a gritty reboot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, the, so what do you think about the invasion of time being the final story of Tom Baker and he regenerating during that story? Or was that one of the plans for it? I don't know, but I was thinking. I was looking back at the, oh, okay mm-hmm. at possible regeneration stories for Tom Baker because you know Tom was there for quite a while. He certainly was. And I was thinking that it would certainly give oomph to that story, right? In a time to have Tom uh, due to or the fourth Doctor due to the uh, effects of the DMAT gun. Yeah, yeah. Forcing a forcing a regeneration. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I'd have, I, I, I would have gone with that. But I mean, who would, who, who would have stepped into his mighty, his mighty scarf, scarf-ed shoes um, well, at that point? I wonder. Many, many years ahead of time. But what if Mary Tam wasn't Ramana? Yeah. But Mary Tam was the Fifth Doctor. Ooh. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking like a complete alternative timeline here. It is. So yeah. forced forced to regenerate after the D-mat, use of the DMAT gun on Gallifrey. Yeah. And then becomes Mary Tam. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Mary Tam. Mary Tam's fantastic. She could be in Doctor Who as much as she wants. It's too bad we had just one season of Mary Tam. We could have had as many seasons of Mary Tam as, as she was able to do, as far as I'm concerned. And sadly, it was only one. I'm yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm afraid I'm not a Lala Ward fan, but I am a Mary Tan fan. It's interesting. When I was much younger, I I liked Lala Ward. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> Better than Mary Tam. Really? But over probably since mid twenties, I probably switched inverted and joined Team Mary. I I was always Team Mary. I was bitterly disappointed when she turned into like Lala a Ward. like a pouty, puffy, blonde-haired public school girl. As, as exemplified by Lala, the Honorable Elizabeth Ward. 
the right so. honorable elizabeth ward mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so that was my thinking well could he have left after yeah i like the, it uh armageddon factor again the story that needed something at the end yeah i quite like the armageddon factor and i actually i find the resolution quite well of of the cold key to dime key to time thing actually quite well done I know that the Armageddon factor, you know, gets and it's, you know, it's the it's the Bristol boys who are well known for just kind of writing things that are hard to do. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, you're okay I'm, with I'm, that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a booster. I'm a booster for the Armageddon factor. Yeah. So, what yeah. Do you, of the Key to Time series, do you have something that uh, or a story that you think is a weaker, weaker of the six stories? Well, I, it's, I, mean, I think, I think everyone has to, everyone has to go with Power Crawl, don't they? Really? Oh, really? Okay. Oh, uh, which would, which, which, which would your weak story be? Ah. Well, I would again with Armageddon and Factor. Okay. Power Crawl is one of those I'll put on if I just need kind of to relax. I like, right. I like the different scenario. I like them in the marsh. I like the Kroll chant. Kroll. <laughs> Kroll. <laughs> and <laughs> the I, I like, you know, Philip Maddox rolling it. I know he wasn't top fiddle, but I think he does an admiral job with Fenner, and he gives it... Um, Fenner is the character that survives at the end. All the other workers at the refinery have either either killed them, got killed by Kroll, got killed by the Swampies, or you know, Thrawn... I guess killed uh, John Leeson's character, yeah. Dugin, shot Dugin, him in the back. Yeah. But this was the era of the Doctor disrupting society, getting what he needs or wants, and then leaving for the the aftermath for those surviving. And you look at the the last look of uh, Fenner or Philomatic of Gibbs, Gibbs at the end of that story, surrounded by the <laughs> the green men, <laughs> and. <laughs> It's good that an actor of his stature, I think, was cast in that role because he conveys a lot through his... Right, that's true. So the story is, I think, a better story of Holmes than, say, The Two Doctors or uh, The Mysterious Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So there is the power of Kroll suffers from poor production values where the uh, the director, Norman Stewart, got bad advice to tape off the horizon so you have the bad merge between the model shot of Kroll yeah. and the... Yeah. And the swampland. So, well, I think I think it what in some ways what all what some 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 what all we've been talking about in this particular episode of our podcast it kind of exemplifies why modern day why everyone who works on contemporary Doctor Who says that it's such a hard show to work on because everything has to go right for it to work. And I think I think one of the one of the mistakes or one of the things that Doctor Who really started to kind of run into as it kind of staggered into the eighties or when it started to to work in the 80s is that it's not really a weekly show you know you cannot kind of churn out like an episode a week um and just hope that everything's going to work right well they were having um, trouble getting writers they were having trouble yeah budgetary yeah. reasons scheduling reasons you know the bbc yeah. was playing games if the scheduling is no longer the you know yeah. saturday afternoon slot saturday night yeah it's three quarters of an hour mm-hmm. rather than 25 so minutes there's, there's you know, it's harder for the kids to watch on a school night than it is on Saturday, for example. It certainly was. It certainly is, even though I wasn't. Well, no, it was, actually. Um, I uh, That's actually when I started to stop watching Doctor Who, because it was scheduled on a weeknight. And I was at a boarding school, and between the hours of 7 and 9, 
uh, we were in classes. We had to work. So when Doctor Who was on, I was being taught stuff. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't I couldn't watch the show. Right. And none of us could. I mean, I guess, oh, obviously people who are at boarding school are a minuscule, minuscule fraction of the population. But it does exemplify but, how... I mean, how, yeah. there are other students, other kids across Britain who exactly, probably could you know, watch. Or... Because you have to do your homework mm-hmm. or whatever, or, you know, your paper round or, you know, mm-hmm. help your dad with the, down the coal mine or whatever working class children do in the evenings so yeah there you go that's alienated some of our audience there no i think that was a that was a that was a huge mistake mm-hmm. yeah so we've we've covered a lot of ground in this in this episode we have <laughs> i travel through <laughs> space and time well we we stayed in one space <laughs> we've, we, we've literally traveled through time we should probably talk at some point what our golden age of who was or when we first started watching what stories have that made the most a... impact on us that would be a great. I, I mean, I, I think maybe you know what was the what was the golden age? What was the first episode you ever saw? I think those are those are two great, two great topics. Maybe for, maybe for next week's next week's podcast. Yeah, very good. Okay, good chat this evening. Fantastic. Look forward to talking talking with you again next All week right. on the as yet unnamed Doctor Who podcast. Good night. Good night.